We are looking at Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. You should have a pew Bible there. They're the black books. This is on page 900. Page 900 in your pew Bibles. Many of you know that the book of Acts talks about what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven and his apostles go out and they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ across the world. And so we kind of pick up the story as Paul and Silas have been sent out from the church in Jerusalem and they're, they're making their way. It's Paul's second missionary journey. He does this a few different times. This is his second journey. And so the author of the book of Acts is Luke and Luke is traveling along here with Paul and Silas. So verse, chapter 16, verse 11. And we're going to read 11 to 15. We set sail from Choas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Thyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to guess that some of you in the last few days have experienced that very odd feeling of waking up in the morning and not remembering where you are. That is a very odd feeling. Your eyes blink open, you look around, and you think, what is this place? Where have I landed? And suddenly it all comes crashing down. Oh, yes, I'm in a dorm room at Calvin College. Oh, wow, how did this happen to me? And I'm going to guess that maybe some of you made that mistake you'll make probably just once of waking up early in the morning and sitting up in bed only to slam your head on the ceiling. How many of you have done that already? Yes, yes, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. We are a community of vulnerability and transparency. It's okay. We've all, we've been there, right? And some of you have had that experience of going into the dining hall and thinking, all I want is this. Where is this in all of that? And you wander around with the tray and you try to avoid people and the glasses like this and you're like, oh, everything is new and everything is different and everything smells different and sounds different. You got voices in the hall and you can't sleep or you're sleeping too much and the, your roommate likes it really cold in the room and you like it really warm in the room and, you know, the doors are slamming around and somebody set off a fire alarm. Who did that? Why would anyone do that? And it's so loud. Everything's new and everything's different, and it's very easy to feel very out of place. How did I land here? How do I find my place? 
Our sister, Lydia, whom we read about this morning, was a person who knew what it was like to feel a bit out of place. She was from the city of Thyatira, which wasn't far away from Philippi, but it meant that Philippi wasn't her hometown. And Lydia was a Greek. We know that from her name, Lydia, and her city, Thyatira. She was a Greek woman. But Philippi, as Luke reminds us, is a Roman colony. It's miles away from Rome. Rome is on the western edge of Italy, and Philippi is up in the northernmost part of Greece, right at the very tip of the Aegean Sea, miles away from Rome. But because Philippi is the gateway into Asia Minor, a very smart Roman emperor about 80 years before this story said, I've got a plan. I'm going to give my soldiers who retire free land if they move to Philippi. I'm going to set them up. They're going to have free land, and I'm going to have a colony that's loyal to me at the gateway into Asia Minor. And so all of these Roman soldiers, once they left the service and were finally allowed to marry, would marry and go to Philippi, or go to Philippi and then marry. And Philippi was a great agricultural place. So if you were awarded land in Philippi, it was basically like getting a wonderful farm that was already going to work. And because Philippi was a gateway into Asia Minor, it had wonderful buying and selling. Lots of trade went through Philippi. And Philippi was also known for having gold. And so these Roman soldiers would see this as a really good deal. Get out of Rome. It was hot. It was smelly. Go up to Philippi. Have a good farm. Have a good life. So Lydia's job was to sell purple cloth. I'm wearing my shirt in honor of Lydia. (laughs) Purple cloth was rare. It was made from the shell of a particular um, seashell. And because of this, it was valued. Things that are rare are valued. And all of these good new Romans who are moving into Philippi and their wives want to prove how wealthy they are, and so they want to buy purple cloth. They want to buy purple things. So Lydia's got a great business. But she's a Greek woman in a Roman colony. She's also a woman in a colony that is run by former soldiers, men. It's a man's world. So she's a Greek woman in a Roman colony running a business in a man's world. And she's hungering after God. And in the practices of her tradition, in the Greek and Roman traditions, the role for women in religion was pretty clear. This was what your role was. Be a temple prostitute. There you go. Lydia thought, that's not what I am interested in. I'm hungering after God, but the gods of the pagans are not what I need. And so somewhere along the line, and we're never told this story, we can ask her when we get to heaven, somewhere along the line, Lydia falls in with some Jewish women. And they begin to teach her about a God who values women. They tell her that there are rituals for women in the Jewish tradition. Rituals that involve cleansing, which is why, by the way, Paul and Silas know to go out to the river. 
If there weren't enough Jews in a city to have a synagogue, those who were affiliated with the Jewish faith would go out to a river because it had moving water, living water, water that they needed for the rituals of purification. So we can imagine that Lydia began to learn from these women. She learned about the rituals of purification. She learned about a God who loved men and women. She learned about the stories of Ruth and Esther, of Miriam and Deborah. And she thought, this is great. This is what I've been hungering for. She was a worshiper of God. But here again, she was a bit out of place because she was a Gentile and a gathering of Jews. So she's a Greek in a Roman colony. She's a woman in a man's world. She's a Gentile among Jews, and she feels a little out of place. Now, when we feel out of place, there are temptations that we go to. One temptation is to latch on to anything that will make us feel like we have a place. Schulte Eldersfeld rules, that's my place. I love Schulte Eldersfeld, my place. We cling to Schulte Eldersfeld. Or BHD or RBD or BB. Or we love the orchestra. I love the orchestra, the orchestra's my place. I've got my place, it's my zone, it's my place. Or our sports team becomes our place. Or our floor becomes our place. Third Rooks is my place. <laughs> we, when we latch onto the place and we look for everything to come out of that place, it's got to be in this place. This is my place. This is my place. And the other temptation when we're feeling a bit out of place is to kind of isolate ourselves from everybody else. Hey, do you want to go to lunch? No, I'm, I'm good. So can I eat ramen in my room? It's fabulous. <laughs> hey, we're all going to that concert. Do you want to go to that concert? No, then, uh, I'm just going to check my Facebook. Nobody's on Facebook. They're all at the concert. It's so tempting to either latch on to something and find, try to find our place or to pull back and think that we're never going to find our place and it's just easier and safer to just pull in and isolate and protect and keep everybody else at a distance. And one of the temptations that you're going to find here at Calvin because we talk so much about vocation is that you're going to think that once you find your vocation, Everything else will fall into place. Once you find your major, then life will just kind of sail on. Like you can answer that question. So what are you majoring in? Business. I found my major. What are you majoring in? Elementary education. Yes. Music, art, history, philosophy, just have something. We just think, oh, if I could just have some answer to that question. So when my aunts and uncles ask me at the Labor Day picnic, what are you going to major in? I don't know. So let's just set ourselves free from that because the truth of the matter is your vocation will change over time and your major is going to change over time. And so instead of saying that we are undecided, all right, which assumes that at some point there will be a decision, let's just, let's just set that word aside and let's adopt a new word. Our new word is 
exploratory. <laughs> All right? Yes. We are exploratory majors. I'm an exploratory major. That sounds fascinating. It is. <laughs> Because our temptation is to find that thing And then we realize that the thing moves, and then we're all despairing. Oh, I'm going to be an engineering major. Oh, I hate engineering. <laughs> oh, I'm going to study chemistry. All those lab hours? I don't want to do that. So just be exploratory for a while. Because when we latch onto something too tightly, God's got to often peel our fingers off of it. There's such a temptation to want to find your place that you can latch on to something that can never sustain you. Lydia knew all about the hunger for place. That's why she was down by the river. And then on this particular Sabbath morning, these two Jewish guys come in, and they start to talk with her. And Luke tells us that God opened her heart. Did you get that line? God opened her heart, and she listened eagerly to what they had to say. Now, why would this woman listen so eagerly to the words of these two Jewish men? Well, Acts 16 comes after Acts 15. Yes. See, if in high school, you wouldn't have gotten that, but now you get that. You're so smart. So Acts 15 has this event. There's this big council. The church all gets together because there's been a, a bit of a hullabaloo. The Gentiles are starting to like this Jesus person. And they're starting to come into the church and they're starting to say to the Jews, we want to worship this Jesus person. We think he's fantastic. This is wonderful. Salvation, forgiveness, we are all about it. We want in. And the Jews are going, what? And they think, well, Gentiles have always kind of joined us, but, you know, we had to make them do certain rules. You know, they had to be circumcised. They had to follow the law. We, you know, we had to kind of bring them up to speed, go to the temple, do a few things. Yes, shouldn't, shouldn't we do that now? And back in Acts 10, Peter has this great vision from God. He has this great encounter with a Gentile named Cornelius, and he realizes that something is happening here. God is opening the doors of the church, opening it wide to the Gentiles. And so at the council in Jerusalem, Peter says the last thing he is quoted as saying in the book of Acts. To all the people who are gathered together and trying to figure out what to do with the Gentiles who are coming into the church, Peter looks at them and says, listen, we know that they are saved by the grace of God just as we are. And so they say, okay, great. Well, let's have them not eat, uh, eat meat with the blood still in it. Let's have them not be sexually immoral. And if they do those things, then they can join us. They're in, they're in. That's what happens in Acts 15. So in Acts 16, These two Jewish men show up by the river on a Sabbath morning and they tell this Greek woman who has always felt like she's never had a place, has always felt just really, she's a lot to be grateful for, she's had a great life, but she's never really felt like she was part of something. They're able to say to her, Lydia, you are in. You are in the church. There's a place for you. You are just as in as all of these other Jewish women. You're in. This is your place. This is your home. You found it. This is it. 
And we can imagine that she was thinking, oh, yes, this is the best. Now I know why I have this money. Now I know why I have this house. Now I know why my house is located where it is. It's all to help these people. And so she's baptized. She and her whole household are baptized. They claim the name of the Lord Jesus as their name. And she says to them, if you believe that God's been faithful, then come and stay at my house. And these two Jewish guys who had probably never stayed at the home of a Gentile woman, do it. God opens Lydia's heart and says, I am your place. I am your home. And once God does that for Lydia, Lydia opens up her life to God and a church is born. The church of Philippi starts in the house of Lydia. A Greek in a Roman colony, a woman in a man's world, a Gentile in a Jewish gathering, she, her place, her home, because the start of the church of Philippi. And so as we go through the next several weeks and we look at the letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, we need to remember that he was writing it to Lydia and her household and her friends who's writing it to her because God opened her heart and she opened up her life. God is opening your heart. Last night, those of you who are first-year students went down to the Sempan and you put on the water something that signified a new commitment, something that signified a change of heart, something that signified a person you want to be or the person you don't want to be anymore. God's opening your heart. Some of you have never made a commitment for Jesus Christ. You haven't done that yet. Well, this fall, you're going to get your chance. I'm going to start teaching a profession of faith class in a few weeks, and it's going to meet on Sunday nights before Loft. And if you're interested in learning about how to claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we're going to meet together and talk about it. So by the time Thanksgiving comes around or Christmas comes around, you can go to your home church if you have one, and you can profess faith in your home church. And if you don't have a home church, we'll find you one. God's opening your heart. And some of you have claimed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but you, you've stumbled a bit. You haven't really lived it. It's been fine. It's been a little casual. Well, now God's opened in your heart to try something new. You're in a new place. We're giving it to you right on a platter. You can join a Philippians Bible study. It's easy. There's no homework involved. It's time to fire up that relationship. Maybe you need to learn about worship and you need to make chapel a priority and loft a priority. Maybe you need to make prayer a priority. God's opening your heart to something. And it's important to learn to let God open your heart because he's going to keep doing it as you go through your life. He's going to keep opening you up to things that you'd never considered before. 
And this is really important when we spend so much time talking about vocation and identity and your future and what do you want to be when you grow up, to remember that God is always taking us through different stages in our lives. I have a friend who majored in elementary education. She wanted to be a teacher. She was excited about it. And so sure enough, after graduation, she got a job as a teacher, and she was good at it. She liked it. She taught junior high and liked it. And then as she's teaching, she realizes that God's kind of opening up her heart to do something else. And he realized that God is inviting her to go to law school. Okay, she says. And she goes to law school. She gets a great law degree. She gets a great law job on the East Coast. She loves her job. She loves the law firm. She's helping people rebuild their lives. She's feeling good about it. She's a successful East Coast lawyer. And her alma mater, the little college that she graduated from in the Midwest, says, we want you to be on our board. Come be on our board. Serve with us. And she says, I can give back to my little college in the Midwest, certainly. And so she joins the board. She's on the board of the college. And the college at that point is going through a search. They need a new vice president. Would you be on the search committee? Sure, she says, because she's that kind of a person. So she's reading the job descriptions, and she's looking at resumes. And as she's thinking about this and praying about who would be the next good vice president at her beloved alma mater, the Holy Spirit kind of pulls on her sleeve. You. And she says, I'm sorry, what? You. And she says, really? And as she starts to think about it, God opens her heart and opens her heart and she applies and she gets the job and 11 years later, she's still here. Shirley Hoogstra, our Vice President for Student Life. Shout out, shout out to Shirley, wave. I asked her permission before doing the story, so this isn't a surprise to her. You gotta be ready, because God's gonna constantly be opening your heart. Elementary education, law degree, great law practice, vice president of student life. And along the way, he also called her to be a wife, and he called her to be a mom, and he called her to be my friend. You just never know what God's gonna do. And if you ask, all of the vice presidents at Calvin, they all have similar stories. If you ask President Biker, he has a similar story. I thought I was going this way. The Holy Spirit said, nope, this, now, this, now, this. God is always opening our hearts. But if Shirley or Henry or some of the other VPs had clung to what they knew, biology professor, they had clung to that, and saw their identity only in that thing, it would have been so easy for them to say, uh-uh, no, this is my safe area, this is my area, I'm hanging on forever, Mm-mm-mm-mm. me, safe, my zone. But because they had their identity in Jesus Christ, because they had their home in God, because they knew that their place was in the arms of their loving God. They were ready for him to open their hearts to whatever he wanted them to do. God is opening your heart to an amazing future. But the first thing you need to do 
is to love him. Find your identity in him, not in another person, not in a relationship, not in a major, not in a job, not in a hobby, but in Christ Jesus. Lydia had been looking her whole life for a place to call home. And when those two Jewish guys showed up and started talking to her about Jesus, the Messiah, she knew she had found it. God is opening your heart. God is opening your heart. Listen to him. Will you pray with me? Our God, we give you praise and thanks for our sister Lydia. We thank you that she had a hunger for you, that she sought you out, and that when she heard the gospel for the first time, she knew she had come home. Forgive us when we seek to have our identities in other things. Call us home. Open our hearts and live in them. We pray this through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of the church and Lord of our hearts. Amen.